Hello and welcome to the Powered by Rock podcast, where we're going to be speaking with a member of one of my absolute favorite bands of all time, Eric Hawk from Portugal The Man. They have a new tour with Alt-J coming in early 2022, and they have a new album in the works as well. So hopefully we'll dig into some of that and we'll see what the other things are coming up for the Lords of Portland right after this. You're listening to the Powered by Rock podcast with your host, Isaac Kuhlman. The Powered by Rock podcast was created to help showcase some of the best rock musicians in the world and to pass on to future generations the rock music that has inspired rock fans around the world for decades. We want listeners to be able to hear great stories and life experiences directly from their favorite artists, as well as dig deeper into music theory and talk rock like no other show you've ever heard. This isn't about looking cool. It's about getting real and having a great time. Without further ado, let's start the show. All right. Hello and welcome to the Power by Rock podcast. So when I first thought about doing the Power by Rock podcast, the very first band I actually attempted contact was Portugal the Man. And I even got a response. But the timing a few months ago didn't quite work out. However, the moons have finally aligned. And now I'm absolutely stoked to be speaking with Eric, the lead guitarist from Portugal the Man on the show today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here, Eric. How are things going? What is up, Isaac? Oh, thank you. You're kind. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's going good. It's uh, it's obviously been a pretty wacky, wild year for us, but man, we're we're like the machine works are starting to kind of crank back into life, and we're uh, we're just happy to 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 get back to it, man. Yeah, it's like sleep waking up from like a two year slumber almost, huh? Inertia is a hell of a force, and it works <laughs> two ways. And you know, when I when I look back on like you know the last, especially the last handful of years leading up to the whole pandemic thing uh just the the amount of of push and uh the the wind that we had in our sails with with feel it still and all that stuff you know like we were we were doing more than a show a day for a while if you if you break it down to like all the the little like three song acoustic radio performances and kind of like exclusive performances and stuff we did like we were doing like 400 shows a year and uh to, to go from that to nothing, both ends of the spectrum are, are equally unbelievable. Um, yeah. but, but we're trying to like be reasonable and kind of creep back into it. And then, you know, we got a, we got a monster tour in the spring. So we're going to have to remember how we did that <laughs> and uh, kind of draw up some of that reserve energy and get back to it. Yeah. I mean, obviously you haven't been completely idle. You guys have been doing some things in the works. You have been working on an album, which we'll talk about. And you guys did do a show, actually, a live stream show from uh, the Crocodile up in Seattle about two, three months ago as well that I watched on live stream. My infant son was sleeping and I was like, I'm watching this. I don't care if he's sleeping. So I turned the volume up and listened to it. (laughs) Waking up the whole neighborhood. Yeah, Yeah. that was that was super special for me for for a number of reasons. I've I've been I've been kind of involved with the crocodile for the last ten years, and it looked it looked like we were going to lose it all together. Uh, kind of another victim, not necessarily of the pandemic, but just kind of of business and expansion and everything. Yeah. Uh, brief history of a complicated issue with that, but uh, the crocodile is a rock club that's been around in Seattle since you know the the Halicon days of grunge. And uh, it was kind of where I played a lot of my firsts. Uh, like, you know, I opened for the Strokes there in my little cheesy Damn. rock band back in the day and like uh, played a lot of shows, like snuck into a lot of shows with, you know, an altered ID, not a fake ID, but an altered ID. And uh, I just loved the spot. And around 2007, uh, I, I think I had played like the third to last show before they just kind of really spontaneously announced a closure of mm-hmm. that location being like, thanks for 15 incredible years, uh, business, politics, blah, 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 but we're shutting our doors. And the entire music community of Seattle collectively was like, that sucks. Fuck yeah. that. Um, so I, I got to become part of this ownership group that came in and kind of saved it and uh, rescued it, rebuilt the stage, redid the sound system, opened it back up. And things were great um, for a long time. And then, yeah, like right around the start of the pandemic, uh, it kind of coalesced with when our lease was going to be up on that space. And we had been leasing it, you know, you know, that business had been leasing that building for 25, 30 years. 
So we were like, yeah, maybe it's time to like make a big boy offer and like come in. So we got it evaluated. We got like evaluation on the spot. We came in way above that, offered them, you know, a suitcase full of money. Like we want it. And they told us to kick rocks. They, <laughs> they were like, no, nah, this is a uh, Seattle real estate is ridiculous. You can't have it. And we're not renewing your lease. So now we are in a super bad spot. And by pure providence of luck, um, just, you know, right when we started putting the press releases out, like, thanks again for another 10 years, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this new space landed into our lap. And that's the the spot, the crocodile spot that you saw on the live stream. Yeah. Um, it was a venue back in the day. It's been a steakhouse for years. And now it's this huge complex that we've reopened. So Portugal, the man plan, that new spot, uh, that was like a, that was a whole complete arc in itself, man. That was yeah. an incredible thing. And yeah, yeah we, and obviously you like the band is kind of headquartered in Portland. You guys are you and Zach and John are from Alaska originally, but you true. now live in Seattle, right? Like so you're kind of the one that lives there. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I've I've tried doing the Portland thing. Uh I I bought a house in Portland and I still couldn't bring myself to move to it. Um I love <laughs> I love Portland, Oregon. I adore it, but this city Seattle just kind of has its claws in me and warts and all. I just love this place. I've, I've traveled the world and I, I keep coming back to this spot. It keeps yeah. <laughs> well, I grew up on the, like the East side of Portland. My brother lives on the West side of Portland, but I live in Las Vegas now. And yeah. I, now that I'm here where all the sun is, you can't pay me to go back to the rain. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like growing up in Alaska too. I think like you can get conditioned to anything. Like you yeah. can really get used to anything. And like, Growing up in Alaska, I didn't know that it was weird that it was dark all the time in the winter or that it was light all the time in the summer. It's just like, that's how it is. Yeah. And it wasn't until you go to other places where you're like, oh, you don't you don't have to like put tinfoil on your windows to sleep at night. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's the little things. Yeah, exactly. So let's kind of talk about this journey because you haven't always been in the band. You've known the band for a long time, but you didn't start with the band. And um, it was kind of... Uh, I mean, it's it's a whole journey in itself to talk about that, but I do want to obviously, you know, get into it. So let's talk about how you actually became part of the band um, and how you guys kind of, you know, grew up together and then how you grew apart, but then came back together. Yeah, it's it's a crazy arc. And, you know, I can I can write a book about this, but I'll yeah. try and I'll try and keep it to 45 seconds here. Uh, yeah, I grew up with the guys. I've known John since we went to elementary school in the middle of a forest in the 80s together. <laughs> Uh, literally, that's no exaggeration. I've, I've known that kid since, you know, we were living in the woods. Um, Zach, I met sometime around like middle school or high school. We were playing in the same jazz band in school. We're all about the same age, so about the same grade. And yeah, I, uh, like my first real live performances were with Zach's punk band that he had in high school, which still has one of the greatest band names of all time, Dependable Letdowns. <laughs> uh, try and beat it, man. I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of unfuckwithable. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, that was like, you know, mid 90s. So we're talking, you know, 25 years of, of crazy history of, you know, learning how to play covers and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, right out of high school, obviously, none of us were smart enough to go to college. So I ended up moving uh, straight to Seattle, kind of, you know, doing the hobo thing and got really lucky, came here with nothing, kind of surfing on nothing and, uh, you know, started playing in local bands and got really fortunate that one of them kind of found some roots, signed some, signed some deals. And we started touring when I was, you know, a baby, just like fresh, fresh out of high school, um, you know, moved from literally the side of a mountain like kind of just the <laughs> sticks of the valley like to, a true alaskan immigrant yeah and, and moved not knowing anybody here i had like a hundred bucks in a backpack and i got super lucky i should be dead in a gutter but <laughs> uh fortunately rock and roll saved my life so i you know i got to get into a van and kind of get in the road and, and get some touring experience under my belt super young uh zach did a similar thing kind of right out of high school um just shipped himself a little bit further down the road to Portland, Oregon. And uh, yeah, around that time, I think, you know, what we did was, was kind of possible then. I'm not sure it'd be possible now to just like 
come from this country bumpkin kind of Beverly Hillbillies world. <laughs> like I love Wasilla, Alaska, but like it's a world of difference from the rest yeah. of the world. Um, but just to, yeah, like have no real connections and uh, just some big dreams and, you know, you make friends really quick. You stay on some couches. Uh, but, you know, Zach uh, was always kind of driven, musically ambitious and everything. Uh, he did the music thing, had a couple of different acts, like juggled some stuff around. And then I just remember hearing from some friends of friends, like, hey, John Gorley's singing with Zach in, you know, their, their new band. And like, I remember John growing up as a kid. I had no idea that he was musically inclined or, you know, had songwriting inclinations or anything. Yeah. And then, yeah, from note one, uh, it's like this, this kid's special. This is incredible. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, he wasn't singing in a band or anything before that either. And that was anatomy of a no. ghost, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, yeah, we were all, you know, the arty kids, knew who the other arty kids were it was a really small school that we went to but by by virtue of being kind of lonery and artsy like we were just scribbling in our notebooks on either side of the classroom like we yeah. weren't we weren't super close i knew he was i knew he was artistic but i had no idea like he was that special and yeah. you know that inclined to to lead singerdom and rock stardom and all that <laughs> uh you know i think that's I think it surprised him too. I think that's why some of those early anatomy shows and even some of the early Portugal shows, he's playing with his back to the audience. Mike yeah. turned around. Yeah, like, I mean, he still plays in the back of the band and lets Zach and everybody else he, kind of take front stage. He, he goes where he's comfortable. You know, <laughs> like some nights he'll, he'll surprise the hell out of me. He'll yeah. like, you know, he'll be right out on the catwalk and other nights he's yeah. back on the drums. It's whatever he's feeling. Yeah. But yeah, in those early days, I think even his gifts surprised him. And I think that's the back the back to the crowd kind of thing. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I, I know I can do this, but I don't want to do it, but I have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty wild energy. But anyway, uh, so obviously, you know, uh, the, the bands I was in, like we, we kind of toured, we had a push, we signed some labels. We, we made a little bit of a splash and then, you know, for, for one reason or another, just like didn't quite stick. And meanwhile, Portugal in its early days and even, you know, anatomy, anatomy of a ghost did the whole kind of festival thing and played yeah. their asses off. And that same work ethic came to Portugal and, you know, even kind of being, you know, a, a friendly observer of the band, it's, it's clear to anybody like, Oh yeah, this is, this is different. Like these guys are broke, you know, playing for, for no money, uh, just grinding and yeah. straight out of the gate, just playing, you know, 100 150 shows a year um and and that was wild like i remember you know watching on myspace watching my friends from wasilla alaska get like big in germany yeah like, folks <laughs> man look at them go yeah. so it was always kind of clear to me that the work ethic was there the drive was there you know the, the the tunes were there the aesthetic like the whole thing was very cool um and then you know as my band's kind of fizzling out and a couple other projects that I was playing in weren't really doing much. Um, you know, Portugal's got an album under their belt and they're recording new stuff, I think up here, kind of around here, uh, that would eventually be Church Mouth. Mm -hmm. And we kind of started talking about maybe me joining the band, which was very cool. So this is like 2006, 2007. Yep. Um, some of those talks started happening. Uh, my schedule kind of gets cleared out. I'm still sort of playing shows with this other band, but you know, not doing much. And then kind of freak fluke situation happened where I fell, uh, at a, at a friend's, you know, party basically into a hole and I got myself paralyzed, which is a whole different story, but basically it hit the brakes on a lot of stuff yeah. and, you know, touring on a shoestring budget in a van definitely seemed like, you know, that's, we're going to table that. That's yeah. a, that's a conversation for another time. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I'm figuring out kind of how to like navigate the life that I'm in. Meanwhile, Portugal's still going, you know, yeah. and, and one record after another, they're, they're putting out an album a year and just touring their asses off. And I'm rooting for them the whole time. Um, but I always kind of had in the back of my head, like, man, I, I really would have loved that opportunity and would have yeah. loved to getting you know gotten on that horse when when it was in the stable um so it took me a long time to just like 
you know, figure out how to play guitar again mm-hmm. and that, you know, how to take that and like be on a stage and how to like play a show here and there yeah. um, to go from playing guitar to like playing a show to like going on little tours, little weekend warrior tour runs and stuff yeah. like that to going on like proper tours with some people that I was playing with um, around here joined up with Kyle's old band KK and his weathered underground went on some like pretty big West Western America tours and played all over the place with a gal named Shelby Earl. And basically like, you know, I'm kind of doing like conditioning training. I'm doing these little two week, three week stints to like figure out how to, how to do this thing, how to, how to pack and what to bring and, and how to live. Um, Obviously, you know, you got to do a lot of those things to get to the point where you're just, living on the road which portugal lives on the road um but yeah uh basically building it up like i was playing with enough people to where i was starting to to pop up at festivals around the northwest and i remember i think it was 2013 or 2014 they were playing sasquatch music festival out in the gorge And I was playing with a gal named Shelby Earl and it was one of those situations, saw my guys, gave him a hug, you know, cracked some beers backstage. And I remember John just being like, you want to play with us? I'm like, I'm about to play a show. He's like, yeah, no, I know that, but we're playing later. You want to just like play with us? I'm like, I don't know any of your songs. Like (laughs) I I know them, I've heard them, but like I, I played to him. Yeah. I've never been like, okay, a two, three, four. Yeah. Um, he's like, yeah, that doesn't matter, you know? And like, you know, I, I speak music and, and, you know, those guys are so good, especially Zach is so good at communicating in real time to the people that we have on stage with us. And I still see him do it, you know, anytime that we have like string players, horn players, you know, choir vocalists, anyone that comes up in jams, he's using the headstock of his bass kind of like a baton and yeah. just directing them. And he did the exact same thing with me. And, you know, it's like, all right, 64 measures, E minor, solo, go, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay, cool. I've got like, uh, I got an hour of pentatonic in here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I played that one show with them and it was kick-ass. It was like everything that I had kind of hoped for. And, and that happened a couple other times. Like I would just pop up at festivals that they were at, jump up on stage. We'd have a good time. Um, but it wasn't until they kind of spoke internally and then like, you know, came to me and we started doing rehearsals. And before I knew it, it was just kind of like, all right, we're going to, we're going to do a tour. And that was, uh, that first tour that I did with them was with Cage the Elephant in, uh, like 2015, early 2016. And yeah, basically it was, I don't, I guess I passed an audition maybe, but, uh, I, I've just, I've been on the bus ever since. That I think was, that was uh, the Evil Friends tour or something like that, wasn't it? That like, was that was right kind of that was like in between. That was the end of like Evil Friends promo stuff and like gearing up for the new record and yeah. all the doom and gloom and Mike D stuff was being created. Yeah. Um. So that was yeah, that was the band gearing up to put out a release, basically. Yeah. And so I mean, that whole story is just awesome to me because I mean, obviously the the accident aside, I mean, the. <laughs> The, the fact that, I mean, these guys are just like absolute machines for years. I mean, like you said, an album a year, I think they had eight albums or six albums before probably you, you might've been joined, maybe seven albums. I, it's, I don't even remember now, but like, you know, even when uh, John's board, he's out there like creating that uh, uh, it's complicated being a wizard one, like basically just oh, yeah. for fun. I'm like, what is this, this guy's just nonstop. It's, it's pretty intense, but uh, you know, the, the, the accident, I do want to kind of come back to that because I don't want to brush over it. I mean, obviously it's a huge part of, how you have to live your life now. Um, and it's just an absolutely incredible story that, you know, obviously you're not fully, you're not paralyzed. You can use your hands, but you are from the waist down and, and, and around there. I'm not sure what, yeah, chest down to, sure, to basically yeah. can't use the lower half of your body. Um, so, I mean, I know you guys, you're, you've been doing some PSAs recently and kind of tapping into, you know, using your voice to kind of help, uh, you know, you know, well, people deal with this, but kind of explain to me, I know just getting in a touring van and just getting out there. I mean, it's not the same for somebody who's, you know, in a wheelchair versus somebody who's got, you know, able legs. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's a weird life for everybody, you know, to, to, to like brush your teeth with a water bottle on the side of a gas station. is yeah. a weird <laughs> life for anybody. 
but it definitely like it's it's the it's the dominating conversation point with like all things all considerations in, yeah. in my end um you know because like even you know the definition of a stage it's an elevated area above people and uh they're not always easy to get on yeah um, you know think about like go on youtube right now and just search like singer falls getting onto stage like they're almost always like a narrow staircase and like yeah. it's kind of tricky for everybody it becomes a lot harder uh in a chair so so i mean like like i said you know i i just kind of had to like I was just taking any gig that I can with, with anybody and like went out to Detroit for a while and, you know, thought about moving to Detroit, joined a Detroit blues rock band and was touring all around with them. Uh, but in the, in the early days, it was definitely like, I tried to kind of make things as easy as I could. So like taught myself how to drive, got my license, got a car. And I just started following, you know, following tour X, uh, while playing guitar, while traveling in my car and staying at hotels and stuff. Cause that was like, you know, rather than like get shipped into this bus or, you know, van or like sleeping on floors, at least like maybe I can afford to stay at some, some ratty hotels and like yeah. drive myself every night. And that formula works okay when you're doing like a club tour or like when things are kind of sporadically booked. Yeah. And I did that for the first Portugal tour. I, I just chased the bus and like, you know, had some gear in, in my back and was driving in my little hatchback across the country. And there's a difference. Uh, the way that the bus tours are booked, like they have to capitalize on the fact that, you know, if they got mouths to feed. There's a lot of people that yeah. travel with the band and days off cost a lot of money. Yeah. And to make up for that, like, you get a bus, you hire a driver, and that bus goes overnight. After every show that you play, it's always overnight. Yep. So bus drivers are nocturnal; they're on like a all night schedule. Yeah, so even if you're playing, you play. <laughs> yeah, even if you're doing like you know Vegas to Reno, uh, you're still not leaving. You know, in the daytime to make it to the show, it's still overnight. You get yeah. off stage, and then like three a.m the bus is pulling out, gets to Reno, 5.30, whatever. And yeah. like, it's always overnight. Um, so to, to sort of recapitalize on that, when you do get to that next city in the morning, you got stuff to do. Like you're gonna go to the alternative station and make an appearance on like drive time radio. You got promo, meet and greet, stuff like that. So when you add in, you know, driving, thousands of miles across the country, you know, I'd try and like go to a day's in, sleep for a couple hours, get in my car and, you know, haul ass to, to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, it worked for like a tour and it nearly killed me. And the second tour that I tried to do it, like, I, I think I made it five shows in, I ended up ditching my car in a parking <laughs> garage in Vegas and just like, I'm like, fuck it, lift me on the bus. I'm done with this. <laughs> Because, I mean, it, it is like a whole nother full-time job. And it's yeah. kind of like the biggest asshole job in the entire touring thing is just like, you know, logistics and travel and driving. Yeah, even but, to like ask a friend to help. I mean, that's a big ask. <laughs> yeah, no. So I, 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 I ditched my car. I think it was, uh, I think it was in the, the Hard Rock parking lot uh, <laughs> in Vegas and, and just, you know, uh, parked in a handicapped spot on the roof. And when I came back three months later, it was covered in sand and dust. People had like <laughs> drawn dicks in the window in the dust. <laughs> but it was still there. It had like a billion barking tickets on it. That's I was like, funny. hell yeah. Like, <laughs> they, didn't, I, they didn't impound it. Huh? That's pretty impressive. I think that tour ended in like Montreal. So I had to fly back to Vegas, you know, Uber, try and remember where I parked months ago. <laughs> And just got to the car, came around that corner and just saw it covered in shit. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but that was funny. the last that was the last time I even considered driving myself on a tour like that. Because, you know, you're you're delirious enough. There's so many times where you wake up, kind of shake the sleep out of your eye, open up the door of the tour bus. And you're like, I have no idea what city I'm in. Yeah. But for when sure. you're like when you're looking at atlases and coordinating schedule and like booking days in and like going to truck stops and stuff, it, it's just a whole, whole nother level. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, it's impressive that you were able to even get, you know, one and a half tours or whatever in like that, because 
I, I mean, yeah, you play till like midnight. You're going to be obviously like 11 p.m. And then you're obviously hanging out trying to wind down. You're not going to sleep right after that. I mean, yeah. you're probably sleeping from like six in the morning until showtime, basically, because you're so drained. <laughs> yeah, but that that six in the morning thing was like when I was trying to get on the road and start driving again. And yeah, that's like you'd sit there, you'd lay, you'd force yourself to try and like at least close your eyes for a while. But the adrenaline and everything yeah. would come down, especially especially on that first tour. I mean, that was getting thrown into a new thing. And my first tour out with them was with Cage the Elephant headlining, and we're playing arenas. Yeah. You know, so like I'm going from playing like little dive bars and shitholes to, you know, maybe a hundred kind of half interested people to like thousands of screaming, you know, fans. I'm like, holy shit, this is. Well, I was there at the, I was actually there at the hard rock when you guys played the joint back in 2015 or, or whatever. Yeah. 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 Dude, that was a, that was a kick-ass show. That was, uh, I think that was the one where I left my car. Yeah. <laughs> you should have <laughs> let me, should have let me know. I'd have just taken it home and parked it in front of my house for you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I, was, uh, I, I, I had like our assistant TM at the time, um, just like basically follow me to a bar. He like jumped in the car with me. We drove up to a parking garage, left it, went back to the bus. I'm like, lift me up, get me up there. And that was yeah. it. Cool. So I had actually asked you before this, um, and you, you haven't been able to find the award, but the, uh, you guys actually did win an award from our company for the 2020 song of the year for who's going to stop me. Um, so I finally want to say congratulations because I haven't been able to speak to you guys about it since January, whenever I actually, you know, sent it to you guys. Um, I don't think it's maybe as prestigious as the Grammy you have, but I think it means something to me anyway. No, (laughs) yeah, I, 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 you slid into my DMS earlier and you were asking about that. And like, like I was saying, man, I, I'm sure that we have it. And it's one of those things that maybe went from management to singer and it's on a mantle somewhere. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Like greatly yeah. appreciate it. And the second that I see it, I'm going to, I'm going to do a selfie with it. I'm going <laughs> to text you and uh, you know, the gratitude will be full circle, but it's, Sounds good. <laughs> it, it, that, that does mean a lot, especially for that song. Like yeah. that song was, uh, that song was special for a number of reasons. Obviously boyhood idol, weird Al Yankovic, who was like, one of the few national touring acts to make it up to Anchorage when we were growing up. Nice. You know, he was one of the guys that was like, I have to play Alaska. <laughs> um, so he's like, his mission is to like play every civilized piece of the earth and maybe even Mars and the moon when they get civilized. Dude, I love that. And yeah. that, that's something that a lot of, a lot of high caliber artists forget is like, you know, that's why you're doing this whole thing. It's yeah. like the, the travel and to expose yourself to as many cultures and get your music to as many ears as you can and and weird how did it so to work with the hardest working man in show business and make a, a piece of art that you know all speaks to our hearts and matters yeah. a lot to us it's it's huge thank you yeah yeah and obviously for people who haven't seen the video or, or know anything about the song it's obviously uh dealing with the the land back movement and uh, obviously the Portugal Man Foundation and and everything about, you know, uh, native rights and, and everything like that. So it's, it's you know, I, literally it was like this close between uh, Eternal Summer by The Strokes and and Who's Gonna Stop Me by Portugal Man. And I was like, oh, man. It, it's Portugal Man. So that's that's what my thought process was when, when I went into, uh, you know, presenting that award to you guys. But, you know, you guys have made amazing music for years. And that one was just like, you know, in, in the time when you couldn't really get a new album, at least we got something that was very cool in that time period. Yeah. And I mean, we were, you know, that was, that was something that snuck out of some sessions that we had been working on because we've, we've made a hell of a lot of music, um, but you know, it hasn't grabbed hold or hasn't stuck in, in some capacities um, to where it's like, Oh, this is part of like a bigger thing. This is part of an album, but who's going to stop me. It's one of those things that was clearly special. And uh, we got Weird Al to be a little less weird and a little serious. You know, yeah. that's that's like one of the few things where Weird Al has like played it, you know, not hilariously. Yeah. Um, obviously, his personality is still in the track. And, and you know, it's, I mean, it's like watching Robin Williams do a serious role. It's like you, you almost want to laugh just because yeah. he's in it. But you're like, he's so gripping when you watch him. It's like they're not being funny, but. You just know who that person is. That's, I mean, that's a perfect example. And yeah, nothing shatters your emotional glass more than Robin Williams, you know, saying yeah. it's not your fault, Will. Yeah, exactly. It's not your fault. <laughs> it's like, it's uh, hold on, what, what's in my eye? All of a sudden. Yeah, oh my God, it's <laughs> me. 
And and yeah, I mean, he's like Weird Al's a, a, a perfect example of of that same kind of thing where it's like he's funny because he's emoting to you, and because yeah. he's so good at transmitting, you know, uh, this this kind of goofy pathos over. So when he flips the switch and he gets serious about it, like yeah, it'll rip your soul right out. It's yeah, unbelievable. Exactly. Well, let's go into a little bit more of a topical note. Uh, you guys were recently seen in an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia uh, yeah. sitting behind the gang while watching the release of what was supposed to be Lethal Weapon 7, but I think was ultimately called White Savior by the <laughs> actor Don Cheadle. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's not the first time you guys have actually teamed up with the uh, Always Sunny cast because I do remember a, a YouTube short from like eight years ago, uh, The Eternal High Five with uh, John and, and, and Glenn Howerton doing yeah. that whole thing where they age like 30 years while just doing a, a high five. And then obviously uh, Glenn was in the Rich Friends video. So yeah. I have to ask, like, how did this friendship come about? Because, I mean, it's like one of the coolest collaborations of all time. I mean, it's, I, I feel like it may be a little lopsided. and it, the, the, Most of the obsession might be on our end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're like, all right, we'll do you a favor. Get over here. <laughs> yeah. I, I think if you knock on the door enough times, eventually someone's going to be like, what do you want? You know? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, those guys are just the funniest and the smartest. And uh, that that show is incredible. And we, we've gotten to do some other things with them. We got to, yeah. we got to come out to the premiere um in downtown LA for I think uh forget which season it was but um basically um got to got to come out and Rob was kind of acting as MC at I think Man's Chinese Theater in Hollywood and the last couple of years it's always sunny has been debuting the first at least couple of episodes of the new season uh you know right out of the can like here's what we've been working on um and with that yeah it was a, a few of them and, you know, Rob came out and it's, you know, a L.A. premiere situation. So there's the red carpet and everyone's kind of gussied up. And he basically came out and grabbed the mic and took the piss out of everything. You know, he's just like, all you industry people and like all you kind of, you know, you people that like got dressed up to be here. And like, you know, this is your glitzy Hollywood moment. This isn't for you. Like we ended up giving away. 500 tickets to this premiere to hardcore fans and fans can you call yourselves out and you know the whole place erupted he's like those people those guys it's not for you wearing the ties and everything um he's like they're the ones that know every episode every character they're the ones that are going to be clapping and you're going to be looking around trying to figure out what they think is funny it's because they watch the show um, but he did end it with being like, if you are one of these people that are wearing the tie and you haven't watched the show in like 10 years, don't worry about it. You're still completely caught up because the <laughs> characters haven't learned anything. There's been no development. There's been no lessons learned. You could come in only having watched season one and jump right into the new episodes and be like, oh, yeah, it's the same. Yeah. Show. Yeah. There may be a little bit more classified in their degeneration but uh yeah they yeah. are definitely never they never learn their lesson there's always a scam coming up with there's a scheme around the corner from them all there's always <laughs> there's always something and yeah like the, the the nuances get a little bit more specified but basically lessons never get learned yeah. art never get completed and <laughs> and i think that's the beauty of the show that's i mean that's and and that speaks to us from from especially from like a, a touring kind of thing or a musician kind of thing because it's the same deal. We keep doing you know our shows on on you know whatever level it is, whether it's playing the American Music Awards or like you know playing a playing like a you know a, a dive bar or a club or a pop up show. Like we're still kind of bringing the same energy because we don't we only kind of know how to do our thing the way that we yeah. do. It. Yeah. So, so, so for, did it just kind of start by like, a, like, hey, reach out, email them, see what happens, and then hopefully yeah. they'll come back to us? Yeah, we're we're fans. Yeah. And we're like, this is the funniest show on <laughs> TV right now. And these guys are clearly the, the smartest heads working in Hollywood. So yeah. it was it was respect. And then I think it was a bit of mutual respect. And and yeah, we're, we're going to keep, you know, we're going to keep knocking on their door and see yeah. who answers because they're, awesome. the they're the best. I actually remember like around that same time as that Eternal High Five, John did like a little uh, cold call to John Legend. Did you ever see that YouTube no. video? <laughs> I remember hearing about it. I've, I've oh never seen God. it. That was so awkward. And, and you could tell it was legit because like John, John, John Legend had no idea who John was. 
And John's just like, Hey, uh, I was supposed to call you. Like my management told me to get a hold of you. And he's like, who are you? <laughs> so funny. But uh, yeah, I just remember that. And I'm like, I wonder if he was just like doing this, like it's, it's almost like a prank, but it wasn't. I think he legitimately wanted to like talk to John legend and John legend's like, well, thanks for like hanging out and we'll see you later. But yeah. it was on YouTube and I was like, that's hilarious. But yeah, you, you get in enough of these rooms and eventually like you'll collect some phone numbers and famous, yeah. famous person phone roulette is, is really a delightful thing. If you've, yeah. <laughs> if you've never done it, find, find like a touring band and be like, who, who do you got in your phone who do yeah. we have right now? And yeah. I'll, I'll bet there's, I'll bet there's some folks in there. That's interesting. Now, just a, as another one, you guys are kind of tied to Damian Lillard of the pull and trailer blazers. Is that kind of uh, just a team fandom thing? And then, and then you guys just reached out to him or. That, yeah, that's, I mean, that's Portland and yeah. that's, that's the biggest rock star in Portland. You know, oh, yeah. Damian Lillard is, uh, he's a superstar. He's on a, he's on a level that we haven't, we haven't seen in sports in a long time. Man. And, yeah. uh, and he just, he reps that city so hard and we try and rep that city so hard. And, you know, like I, I, I love my Blazers. I tweet a lot of those games. I tweet at them. We get kind of like a little bit of interaction and love and stuff. But like, we also love coming to the games and, and repping. Yeah. And you know, those those things getting pulled together kind of started with just the Blazers organization. And you know, we did some promo stuff for them. Uh, did we recorded a version of Gimme Shelter for their pregame introductions and, nice. and you know some stuff like that? So we started working with like the dance squad, the Blazers stunt team, you know, Blaze the mascot, and yep. uh, one thing led to another. And then yeah, I I met him in the middle. I met him for the first time in the middle of the show. We were playing Edgefield out in Troutdale, just east yep. of Portland Oasis. And uh, I just feel this hand on my back and, you know, look up and there's this dude kind of pumping his fist. I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> What's up? I'm going to shake your hand, but I'm playing a solo right now. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, that's just kind of one of those one thing leads to another. And, and yeah, we obviously would love to do something with Dame Dollar, the musician. Uh, we've tried, you know, we, we know a lot of the same people. I think he's a little busy. Uh, yeah. But you know, we're we're gonna keep trying. We'd love yeah. he's kind of like a dream collaboration for me. For yeah. Sure. And it's not just a coincidence that their name is also the Blazers, which happens to just be like a, a verb for something that you may do in a pastime, right? <laughs> you know what's even wilder than that? Like, you know, John's always been obsessed with the Trailblazers. And I just really recently put this together. That school, that elementary school that I was just talking about in the yep. middle of the woods where I met John Gorley in like nineteen eighty eight. That was the Snowshoe Trailblazers. That was oh, the wow. name of our elementary school in just the middle of nowhere in the Matanuska Susitna Valley of Alaska. So he's been a trailblazer, you know, since <laughs> since he was seven years old. And born uh, and raised. Born and born and bred, man. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's awesome. you know, with, with Dame, obviously that's just that's a place of fandom. We're we're just we're just always gonna bleed blazer red and keep going to those games and you know, if we get like a, a little what's up or a high five along the way, that's just all the sweeter. If we can work with him in the future, that'd be incredible. But yeah, we're just going to keep going to the games. Yeah. And that's one good thing about you guys' music is you do pull in artists from other genres. You're not just stuck in, you know, indie rock or psychedelic rock. And, and you guys, you guys do it pretty well. I mean, I've been to some of the concerts where I'm like, like this is half like rap concert i'm like this is pretty insane like there's a lot of energy on stage right now <laughs> that's you know the the places we play but got big sound systems and we try and use every uh we try and use every watt so yep. yeah we, we shake the subs <laughs> yeah exactly so i think one of the coolest things that you guys do is actually do some really good cover songs like i don't know like i personally don't like listening to cover bands or cover albums but when exactly. a good band incorporates a good cover into the music like throwing like another brick in the wall or wonderwall or even Dayman into the middle of a set just like naturally play it like you guys do i think that's pretty awesome and, and obviously you guys have done that for a while um which obviously leads me to the next question about the new cover singles that you guys have which is novocaine for the soul by the eels which one of yeah. my favorite bands of all time i actually even i'm trying to get mark everett uh, uh yeah mark from the eels onto the yeah. uh 
podcast because I freaking love the Eels. I've been a fan since literally that song came out in like 96 or whatever. And then you guys did Steal My Sunshine by Len, which was a huge summer anthem back in like high school for me. So, you know, I have to ask like, why these two songs and why now? And, and how did this all come about? Yeah, well, you know, with with both those tracks, we ended up, you know, uh, getting uh, uh, Clem from Cherry Glazer um, yeah. singing, you know, the that incredible verse in Steal My Sunshine, which is just as sweet as can be, and Sir Chloe uh, wrapping it up on, on that Eels tune. And that was just kind of like, that was, you know, we're still kind of in the thick of the pandemic, and we just we wanted to keep working. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit like Kyle took some of those tracks. I took some of those tracks, you know, John worked on some of this stuff, but it was just like, let's record some faithful covers. And so much of it was just like what we came up with on, you know, on the radio. So, you know, I, I, I was doing, I was tracking some pretty wild stuff in here. There's, for for those two that made the cut, there was also like we did Space Hog in the meantime. Oh wow! Uh, we did that new Radicals track. You know, oh, yeah. we, we're we're recording. So one of like stuff. the two that they were very famous for, and then they just disappeared <laughs> off the earth. Yeah, it's like you get what you give. Yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, that's it's a monster smash hit, but like yeah. if you don't got the bucket hat and the track suit, like you don't quite yeah. convey the same energy. Did you know that the girl from that, the keyboardist from that, was from the show Family Ties? By the way. I remember hearing that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a strange little factoid. <laughs> but but the steal my sunshine thing, like that, that's a song that, you know, that was just like of that era of that time. Like my first job that I got in Seattle was working in this retail place. So it's mm-hmm. uh, the Levi store downtown. And that fucking song was on like every 45 minutes. I'd just be bowling Levi's 501s and I'd hear that cowbell be like, damn it. Um, Yeah. So to be able to like track that from the start and and have it come out on, on, you know, a beat that, you know, I kind of produced in this room right here, like that, that bell that you hear, that's a cowbell that I smacked and then like manipulated and auto-tuned. I auto-tuned a cowbell to get that sound. (laughs) So I was just like going from the original to the track, to the original, to the track and just like making little tweaks. Um, So definitely full circle. Um, just being able to like take a song that used to drive me crazy and yeah. you know, like pay it forward and be like, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna we're gonna move this thing along was was super cool. Yeah. And those two songs just work together because like you know that those were anchors like staples of alternative radio and pop radio, you know, in the in the '90s when we were yeah. coming up. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I, I jokingly like admit to liking Ace of Base now, but absolutely hated Ace of Base for like years. But I'm like. You know, when I listen to them now, I'm like, I'm not so bothered because they're not on all the time. But like, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll sing the sign every single time it comes on the radio. It's like, now it's not like in your face all the time. So yeah, like you go from like pestered to like nostalgic almost. And I think that's probably very similar to that song. Because yeah, I did like that song in high school, but then it got played a lot really fast. And you're like, okay, that's enough for a while. Yeah, I mean, I will say the Eels never bothered me. Like yeah. Eels were always like, that song would come on the radio and I'd be like, yes, you know, yeah. I get to get cool and arty. But Steal My Sunshine was one of those things. Like you couldn't escape that song anywhere yeah. that you went, especially like in a brightly lit retail environment in downtown Seattle. But I remember like after I quit that job, I, I found a copy of Len, uh, you know, uh, you can't stop the bum rush. The album that has "Steal My Sunshine," and that album is legit. There's some bangers on there. There's a Biz Marquee track called like "Oh, What a Beautiful Day" on there. Uh, there's like some you know German craftwork kind of techno pop stuff going on. Yeah, it's wild. It goes all over the place. So yeah. like it's it's a super fun party album. So yeah. that kind of like re endeared me to that track. You know, postscript. So then to like go from that especially like when you're at a party where steal my sunshine comes on, I'm like, dude, do you know the rest of the like deep tracks on this? Yeah. <laughs> Stop that. Like, no, no. Just want to listen to steal my sunshine. we didn't bother. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I've, I've had a little special love for that tune and nice. uh, we, we tried doing it right. And I, you know, obviously Clem cherry glazer killed it, made it, made it all the better, but, um, and full circle with that, we're going on tour with both of them. Uh, with this Alt J tour coming up, so yeah. it's it's a little something to have physical, intangible, 
And, uh, you know, it, I think, I think we might do physical copies of it as like a little tour exclusive kind of thing, but it was mostly just like a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of fun to listen to. Cause it, like when I first saw that it came out, I was like, Holy crap. Like they actually picked two songs that I enjoy listening to, you know, now, not, you know, yeah. and, and always love Novocaine for the soul. Um, and listen to it. And I was like, they did a really good job of covering this. Cause those are not easy tracks to cover, especially that like that's like cowbell sound at the beginning of that that sample or whatever. I just assumed that you sampled it, but to create it, recreate it was from pretty scratch, cool. From yeah, scratch, from awesome. scratch, every everything, every kick drum, like that that synth is right over here that got all swoopy and swirly on it. You know, nice. like every every little element of that was nice. Was so if you haven't listened to that and you're listening to this, go check out the the, the two singles: the "Steal My Sunshine" and "Novocaine for the Soul." They all um, they also both yeah, and, and then we can move on. But like they both hearken to this. Thing where it's like you know pop pop music used to be used to get away with a little bit more i feel mm. like and especially around that era like 90s pop stuff was kind of subversive a little psychedelic and yeah you know like that was the same era that you know the butthole surfers were getting on <laughs> yeah. getting on mainstream radio with pepper yep. and stuff pepper, and just kind yep. of like poisoning the mind a little bit so yeah. it was really fun to like touch on that era yeah yeah there was a lot of weird stuff that came out i mean it if you could get on MTV and just get a little scratchy of that visibility, some people will get you know connected to it, and then it would just blow up. It was like, you know, the next day, like Tom, uh, Tom Green had that Bum Bum song or whatever on Total Request Live for like three weeks or whatever. Sweet, <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. It's, it's a banger. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how is how are people voting for this? But it's yeah, I mean, it's hilarious. But it's like, why is this isn't really music? <laughs> but that was the 90s for you. It was weird, but it was good. Um, yeah. So obviously, I've been a fan of you guys for, I think, since literally, I think my buddy Mitch, who's actually in the band Commoner, who was one of the first guests of this show, introduced me to you guys. Well, you weren't in the band yet, but it, it was probably around church mouth time. So 2007, somewhere in there. Oh, okay. um, and, you know, you can see this evolution of the sound of the band over the years. And I think it, you know, it's a little bit more bass and drum heavy focus, it seems like these days, at least on like a lot of the, you know, more. Um, um, popular tracks in, in, in uh, these days, where I think when it first started, it was more geared vocally and guitar driven by John, obviously. Um, I remember reading an article where John then mentioned that he said, you can't stay the same. You kind of get trapped in your own bubble. So you got to get out of this like echo chamber because, you know, in Portland, everybody knows each other and yeah. knows all the bands and they kind of all just kind of play the same sound. So he obviously wanted to expand that out. But I'm curious, like, how do you guys go about writing music that keeps evolving and growing? while still trying to maintain like an overall sound that you guys come to naturally play over the years. It's just kind of whatever suits the song, whatever fits the mood, you know, like the stuff that we're working on right now is, is, is kind of going back maybe even further than that, where there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Hammond organ and like really cool guitar tones and great drums. And like, it's definitely like, you know, an earthier vibier kind of thing. Obviously when we were doing stuff with, with Danger Mouse and Mike D, it was kind of like, the production secrets and the tools that are in the room but it's always just kind of like you know if a sound happens and the reaction within the room is strong to it then yeah. that's something to chase yeah um and you know that's that's just something that comes out of options but then you know you you go the other way with it and that bass tone on feel it still that's you know that was just something that john was plunking around with on a little 60s bass that was in the room now that's i, I know with get back and the beatles thing coming out like everyone's looking at paul mccartney playing that 60s hoffner feel it still it was pretty much that same bass yeah. little i mean you can tell because it's got that like, donk 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 because that, like that thunk sound, that's right? the sound that's yeah. the sound yeah and that's i mean that's why we had that thing kicking around because obviously mm -hmm. that sound is something that appeals to us it's something that you know harkens back to to an era but at the same time it's exciting it's musical so to get that thump and get that sound it's just like well here it is it's in my hands yeah. Um, While we're yeah. on that topic, I do have to ask who start, who did that little lead, that little scale that do, 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 do. did you come oh, up with that? No, that John? that's John. Yeah. yeah. That's like I, one of the coolest little guitarists I've ever heard in a song. I, I you know, we, we all kind of took stabs at the hook, but like, I, that's just something that's undeniable and in the head. And I've, I've gotten to play it live a, a thousand times and it's always like, Ooh, here it comes, here it comes, yeah. here it comes, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's an exciting, cool, rad little run. Yeah. 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 Cool. 
Another big thing I want to talk about is obviously bring up your guys' social and politi political activism, especially for the rights of land of, for indigenous people in the United States and Canada. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about like the Portugal Demand Foundation, what it stands for, and how people get involved in, in helping change yeah. the things for the better? Yeah, P PTM Foundation was something that, you know, again, really got to take flight uh, while we were off the road. So start a pandemic happened and like we were just getting this thing off the road and it it started with things that we had kind of learned and picked up on tour um you know obviously growing up close to the alaska native population mm -hmm. up there uh we felt like day-to-day -day life was was maybe better informed up there in terms of you know indigenous representation and it's mm -hmm. around us and like we would learn about it in school and it was something that was, you know, presented and present and around you all the time. You know, you, you know that there's villagers, you know, villages and representatives and well-informed voices all around where you can kind of learn about this stuff. You get into other parts of the country and the history is still there, but the representation just isn't. Yeah, it's almost like it's a past thing that happened and it's not happening anymore. Yeah, when these are living, evolving cultures of people yeah. that are still here and, you know, often the best informed in the room and, and the least listened to. Yeah. Um, so this is, you know, something that got reignited in us when we were on tour in Australia. We were doing like a whole Australian kind of loop-de-loop tour. Uh, we were down there for a while. And that sounds about how they would explain it in Australia, too. Oh, it's a bit of a loop-de-loop, mate. A loop-de-loop, -loop, yeah, like <laughs> counterclockwise. You know? uh, <laughs> so it was one of those places where, you know, one of those things where we were playing some pretty remote spots, and we learned from our touring photographer, who's, you know, an Australian countryman, uh, that there's sort of a, a way that recognition exists down there that doesn't necessarily uh exist anywhere else but down there it's very it's very kind of organized and they call it welcome to country and basically you know there's a website you can kind of see whose land you're going to be on uh you can reach out to representatives el elders uncles of you know the original aboriginal representatives of the land and tenants of the land and you bring them out you kind of ask permission you recognize that the land that you're on is not yours uh you ask permission to play it and then everyone has a better time and they come out better informed yeah uh, so we just thought that was great and kind of tried to take that model a bit and bring it back to the states and the thing that we learned is the stories that we heard in australia are so similar to the stories that we yeah. heard up in alaska and they're so similar to indigenous plight and stories that we hear all across the world um so there's this really unifying thing to it but at the same time uh you know we're it's not up to us to inform how that acknowledgement or that ceremony goes we pass the mic and then we watch and mm -hmm. it's mostly like hey there's a crowd full of a couple thousand people uh here's a microphone what would you like to tell them yeah. and that can be everything from you know traditional performance and song and dance to to really heartbreaking stories to you know uplifting funny optimism uh or just to information and it's yeah. always different uh, but a lot of the stories that we get backstage are 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 really similar and really haunting and really the same. So yeah. we kind of recognize the need to to like amplify these voices, not just when we're on stage or playing shows, but, you know, kind of around the clock. And there's so many, you know, so many times in issues of government governments and, you know, equality where indigenous voices are just the best informed. Um, yeah. so to offer a little bit of an amplification was kind of the mission with that yeah and for anybody who's sitting in the crowd and is like oh why do we have to watch this like just shut up enjoy yeah. watch learn stop being a piece of crap <laughs> like, yeah. you know, they're, they're there because you you know we've as you know white people in our, in our culture have taken that away and like it's it's good to acknowledge that you know you know we weren't part of it necessarily but we reap the rewards of of having that you know civilization decimated which is you know haunting and heartbreaking all if you look at all the things that we've you know all the atrocities that we've accomplished in the in the american history books i mean it's just non-stop genocide like all this other stuff so yeah to, to have somebody come in and speak about that for a couple minutes in a night like it's not going to ruin your day just like enjoy it learn yeah. something and, and and get you know move forward yeah and it doesn't like honestly we we don't get backlash from this thing. yeah like I think it, true fans of you guys for, for sure. Like if like, there's going to be like some, you know, drunk idiot, like 
this this will happen obviously like this is a, a key key thing that could happen in las vegas people are like wasted when they show up they don't know who they're they get comp tickets to the show and they're like what the hell like what are we watching like like, yeah, just, well, away, like, just come back in 10 minutes or whatever. Like, just shut up. <laughs> if, if I hear it, I'll, I'll personally come down and punch you in the throat. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will be a represent, uh, a representative of, yeah. you know, of my traveling, uh, yeah. touring group and I will come down and I'll punch you in the throat. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. So let's get to the topic at hand, which I believe will be the, you guys' next album. Yeah. Uh, I, I I know you're working on it. Uh, you know, can you give us any insights? When do you think, do you know when it's going to be released? How much of it is done and kind of what can people expect from this finally hitting their eardrums? It feels done, man. It's, you know, we've been working a long time and we've been, you know, we've been creating music since the second that Woodstock was shipped and, you know, getting out, we, we started working on stuff and we've, we've recorded things all around the world. Um, the way that recording technology has kind of gotten smaller has you know allowed us to to roll into shows. I remember you know being in in Switzerland and uh, playing a show. I think in a town called Winterthur up in like the German mountains. Yeah. And you know the green room just had this like funky old out of tune parlor piano, and we got mics on it, started recording stuff, and that was you know we were on the promotional tour for Woodstock like yeah. four years ago, five years ago. So we've been making music kind of everywhere. It took a while for us to kind of take everything that we were making and focus it a little bit yeah. and like, you know, center it. Um, but in the meantime, you know, we, we, we made a record with, uh, or, or we contributed to an album of music with Black Thought from The Roots, mm -hmm. Tariq and Sean C. And, and uh, it's a, uh, it's taken a while to kind of like sit back and look at all this stuff that we've created and all, all the tunes and kind of focus on, but we really, really have, we're, we're at a point where like, you know, the album as it sits just has an arc. It, it makes a statement. It feels good. It sounds kick-ass. Um, in terms of when it's just, you know, it's, it's going to be within a year and, you know, we we're figuring out like, the the how and the singles and everything but like we we want it more than anybody else you know yes. for anybody that's like clamoring like put out an album out you know put it out already like trust me i i would love to yeah I, there's I, a whole promotional thing and the, the record companies involved there's it's not just like hey let's put it on spotify now that it's done yeah and you know it's also <laughs> just kind of focusing it into like saying the right thing and it's not just yeah. like it's not just taking like you know 10 catchy tunes and bundling them up and putting them in an album like we yeah. we really wanted to like make something that mattered and and said something cohesively with this and i i really feel like you know if if the album for where it sits today is what comes out it's gonna be something that i'm gonna be more proud of than anything else i've ever done nice so uh, on a side note, we, you did mention Gloomin' and Doomin' before. Are you guys ever going to actually release that? Because it's kind of ill-fated. It was supposed to be out like around the time that Woodstock was, and then it got ditched, and then Woodstock you know, came out. You know, there's a lot of killer ideas and great sounds on there. But again, like Woodstock says what we wanted it to say, and it says it in a cohesive kind of more structured manner. Gloomin' and Doomin' was a lot. There's a lot of cool ideas, but like that's – that's just like this this mind that's opened up of like great sounds, great ideas, great progressions, and we can we can take some of that stuff and implant it and you know put it out. You know, I'm not gonna say no. I'm not gonna say never that it's not gonna come out the way that you know we sort of thought that it might or intended. But but you know, again, like if it's if it's not saying anything we were always making songs. We're always yeah. recording stuff. And, uh, you know, even taking the album that we've got planned right now, uh, we're going to have dozens of songs that aren't going to make the cut. And yeah. just because we didn't give it a, a catchy sort of automatopoeia name, like Gloomin' and Doomin' doesn't mean <laughs> that those ideas don't get to then like get carried forward and transferred yeah. down the road. I think I think the main reason people ask about it is because it was so close. It was teased. There was you know the studio shots, and it's like, well, yeah. what the hell happened to that thing? And it's like disappeared now. But yeah, obviously, you, you, we all know there's going to be songs that don't make the albums. There'll be songs you guys might even play live that 
we're like, where'd that come from? And then it's like, oh, by the way, that was from, a, and you'll never say it, but that was from like one of those scratch recordings that you guys just happen to like that you throw together or something. But yeah. it's always one of those things is like every band's got this like one thing, one song or one album that everybody wants to hear. And it's like, well, not yet. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it goes back to like sitting in that room and listening to it, you know, like yeah. getting that reaction within the group. Like if it's not hidden, it doesn't matter how packaged up and, you know, how, how cool it sounds or, you know, if, if it's not hitting right and if, if it's not feeling, then it's going to be really hard to go out and, yeah. and sell it and, and, you know, pitch it. If it's not something that everyone's just jacked on. Yeah. What are you doing? Of course. And, and I mean, obviously, you know, John going back and, and talking to his dad and then saying like, let's just, why don't you just go record music? Like that, I remember that as like one of like the coolest stories of like here, here we're done with an album. And then he's like, ah, I feel like it's just like not going where I want it to go. And he's like, well, just go in there and play music. Isn't that all you do when you go yeah. to the studio? He's like, oh yeah, I guess we could do that. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's perfect for so many reasons, but like, yeah, we're, we're kind of pragmatic, simple Alaskan dudes. Like this yeah. is like if Portugal, the man wasn't a band, we'd be a hell of a, a residential construction team. Um, <laughs> so that kind of practicality, and and let's face it kind of like that challenge like yeah. just go do it like yeah. i'll do it i'll do it so good I'll yeah. do it. I'll build this album better than any album you, are, you know like, it is it is nice to get challenged every now and then yeah <laughs> and obviously you guys are going on tour with alt j now uh i think yeah. it starts what in march or february for maybe fe late, late february, february yeah um, in, like pittsburgh yeah yeah so i mean that's that's the one of those you know first of all how alt j got so famous i'm not really sure because like their music's cool i don't know how it's like got mass appeal because it's so weird but like people like it and i'm like I, like this this tour is gonna be awesome for two reasons one because alt j and portugal man are some of these bands that like should not be necessarily famous popular wise mass mass media hey. well i'm not saying that in a bad way i'm just saying like like it's the sound that you don't hear on the radio until you guys put it on the radio and then when it's on the radio you're like holy shit, that's awesome. Why doesn't everybody like this music? And then when everybody does like it, you're like, I can't believe that actually happened. Like, how did everybody like Feel It Steel? And how does everybody like Beezle Blocks and all this stuff? But I yeah. think it's like one of these like combinations of two bands that like, you just, you you know that it's going to work together because it kind of has this similar, um, uh, like this, this I guess, rise to fame or rise to popularity or whatever you want to call it. And have you, I don't know if you guys have ever played with them before, how that came about, but that's one of those things. Of, that I think it's yeah. just kind of like this whirlwind that's going to work so well for everybody to watch it. Yeah. Outside of like festival worlds, we've, we've never, you know, done something directly with them, which is going to be really cool. And they're one of those bands that like, even if you think you don't know them, like go search Alt J on Spotify yeah. or Apple music and listen to those like four top tracks and you'll be like, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely know those guys. Like, oh. I just don't know the name. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, it's hard work and consistency, man. Like they, they put on a hell of a show. Uh, it's, you know, they, they've got kick-ass production. They sound great. They're, they're really good at what they do and you know, they're super legit. Yeah. Uh, not bad for a bunch of British people, right? Yeah. <laughs> British, British people playing music. I don't know. Never heard of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll see. It's a passing fact. But uh, I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're incredible. And they're, you know, they, they bring a hell of a show. So the onus is a little bit on us to like, you know, show them what we got. And, yeah. Uh, I think, having a little a little like friendly competition uh within touring acts is, is great like we definitely yeah. tried doing that with cage the elephant yeah. you know we we had a hype guy on stage yeah I, remember. I don't know i don't know what we're gonna do for main support for this one to like get attention but like we're gonna try and go out there and get attention yeah um because that's what we do but yeah all jay's great man i i can't wait that's it's a long one it's a monster one we're playing some incredible rooms we're playing like madison square garden and like yeah. playing some huge spots so we're we're chomping at the bit on it you know trying to get in fighting weight and uh go out there and kick its ass that's awesome and i i remember that tour and i remember the group love tour i don't, I don't know if you were on the group love tour i think that was just right before you you came on yeah but it's like every time you guys like kind of like i wouldn't say i would i would say it's like a co-headline because you're you're at, at that point i mean sure kg elephant was like probably more popular just from like the history of the band being on the radio for so long um 
but you guys had rose to a point where it was almost like a co-headlining tour because when you guys came on stage, people were going absolutely nuts for you guys just as much as Cage the Elephant. And the same thing with Group Love, and I expect the same thing for Alt-J. I mean, you guys, I, I, I would feel intimidated as a headliner having you guys come before me. I'd be like, oh, these guys are going to go out there and kill it. Like I saw Minus the Bear and, and Cursive open for them, and I was like, damn cursive is a hell of an opener for Yo. minus the bear and i'm like that's a that's a pretty bold move to have those two bands like together just like when anybody is headlining with you guys yeah but i mean i'll, I'll i'm sure that you know they wanted cursive because like the the best bands want want to be pushed you know and yeah. like we want to be pushed and it's not competition it's just like let's 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 melt brains yep. in our way and then you guys go melt brains in your way and yeah it's it's gonna be kick-ass and like you know this is an all j tour but we're still gonna go out there and catch as many fish in their pond as we can yeah yeah and that's awesome i mean i i can't wait to see what 2022 comes i mean obviously with a new album that comes out in 2022 this tour that comes out uh, i'll be there at the at the uh, virgin hotel here in las vegas to watch you guys yep. uh, i see even bigger things happening for Portugal, the man this year than, than has already happened. So other than that, would you like, uh, we're going to add some links to the music and other stuff in the, in the show notes below. Do you have anything else that you'd like to plug upcoming shows or anything uh, yeah. or anything you want to say to fans before we go today? I know. I mean, we, you know, PTM and Alt J, I think there's a whole website dedicated, figure out where we're going to be in your town and come party because yeah. we're hungry to get back out on it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we try and lay out our advocacy for not just indigenous rights, but, you know, disability rights, human rights, uh, just uh, a lot of our advocacy lives at the PTM Foundation. So that's all at ptmfoundation.org. If you could link to it, I'd be much obliged. For sure. Absolutely. Definitely will. Right. Awesome. And I want to thank you, Eric, for the you know awesome conversation today. If you guys haven't checked out their music yet, you guys are insane. Uh, but there will be links below this show no or below this episode in the show notes there. So make sure to go check it out. Uh, been one of my favorite bands for years and years. If you like what you heard on the show today, please be, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends on social media. You can see the full interview on our YouTube channel as well. Also, if you want to check out some of our written content or any of the products or merch that we have available, go to poweredbyrock.com to read our absolutely free rocking blog full of album reviews, interviews, and lists to keep you entertained. And find our gear as well so you can come pick up some items to play and look like a rock legend. That's our show for today. We'll see you soon for the next episode. Until then, rock on.